Good morning, City Light Church. My name is Mo. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if you've uh, been here the last few weeks, you probably know that we have been going through a series on the Trinity. Uh, It's uh, the three persons of God. And for the last two weeks ago, we started with God the Father and then uh, worked our way through God the Son last week. And then um, we're going to do God the Holy Spirit today. Now, you've probably heard the word Trinity before, and, and we serve one God that expresses himself in three persons. And so we're, we've been working through talking about those uh, three persons. And uh, as we've established that, what we've established is that uh, this is not a New Testament idea. This, Jesus didn't show up, and then all of a sudden we get Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It actually, we've shown that it, it started out in Genesis 1, uh, where God was on display in three persons in community from eternity. And so the beautiful thing about that is that we are created in God's image, so therefore we are also created to be in community as well. And so this morning, as we're going to finish our series, we want to talk about God the Holy Spirit. And so to do this, um, I'll invite you to open your Bibles to chapter 16 of the Gospel of John. Now, in that first week, uh, Bob Walsh uh, shared with us that when we turn from our sin and trust Jesus as Lord and Savior, we're actually adopted as sons and daughters of the living God. And that's a a beautiful thing. God becomes our Father, and, and as our Father, He protects us and He provides for us, and that we also are able to live out His purposes in relationship with Him. And then last week, we uh, heard from Austin to share about God the Son, Jesus. And, and in that, we've heard that Jesus was the humble servant, but he was also the perfect sacrifice and that he's the risen king. And what a beautiful God we serve, right? For him to express himself in such beautiful ways, this is good news for us. And, and the Bible shows us that God is expansively beautiful. In fact, he's expansively powerful and, and lovely to see. And so our commitment as your pastors, as we continue on week by week, is to continue to point us to the glory of God, to show his beauty on display and I believe that his, his character runs so deep that we can spend the rest of our lives doing that, and, and that's good news for us. He will transform our church family. He will transform our hearts as we continue to display his glory. Now, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, some of us hear that and say, oh, I'm, I'm a little shaken up about that. I'm a little uncomfortable. When somebody says the Holy Spirit, I'm not sure what to expect. And so this morning, I want to have you rest a little bit because this morning is going to be simple. I want to simply explain who he is and what he does and uh, ease some of those tensions that come from when uh, someone talks about the Holy Spirit. So the, so the goal as, as your pastor this morning is to simply explain who God is when he expresses himself in the Holy Spirit. Amen. So my first point in that is I got some bad news for you. The first point is there is bad news, and that bad news is that Jesus ain't here. The physical incarnate God is not here. As we look in verse 4, uh, we pick it up there. It says, but I have said these things to you that when their, their hour comes, you may remember that I told you them. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. So what's happening here is that, that Jesus 
is talking to his disciples after walking with these guys for three years. And, and, and to walk with the physical Jesus for three years had to be like one of the best honors ever, right? Like physically, God in flesh, God in a bod, right here, right now, walking with Jesus. But then Jesus tells his buddies, hey, I'm going to be killed and I'm going to leave you alone and go to be with the Father. And so then he also tells them right before this passage, he says, hey, stuff's going to get really real for you guys. You're going to get persecuted. You're going to be hated because of me, and you might even be killed for your faith. And so in verse 6, it says that their hearts were filled with sorrow, and I'm like, of course they are. Like, that makes sense that they're filled with sorrow. Think about it. Like, you're walking with Jesus for three years. He's healing people. He's doing amazing miracles among people. He seems to be unstoppable. And now he's telling you, yep, I'm going to die, and I'm going to go away from you. And so they're, they're, they're grieved over that and to the point where they, they're questionless. They're, they're wordless in this moment. And I think we're a lot like the disciples in this. And the fact that we are so invested and focused on the physical. Our life revolves around the right here, the right now, the things that are tangible, the things that we can see. And we, we don't know how to cope with the day-to-day very easily when we see the physical things. We try to work so hard to smooth things over and make things a little bit easier in our life. And, and we even have these hopes and dreams that the hero of our story would come in and cure all circumstances and change everything and make it right. But then we stop in the day-to-day and we experience the pain and the suffering. And, and we just want someone to come and say, everything is going to be okay, right? So we're inhibited by the different ebbs and flows of life. Even though Jesus promises, he, he promises an abundant life, an even better life, but he never promises the fact that it's going to be easy. There's still daily struggles, there's still daily grinds and disappointments and failures. And maybe, just maybe, some of us wish that God in the body, Jesus in flesh, would be right here, right now to guide me, to direct me, to comfort me while I still live here in the present. Does anybody else feel that way? Anybody else think that? Yes. I'd be like, man, if Jesus was here right now, if he was physically here, I would feel a lot better about things. If he would just come and say, this is what is true, this is what is right, life might be a little easier. Even if he could just stand by my side and guide me moment by moment and say, hey, Mo, go there, I think I could probably walk in a little bit more confidence, right? But the bad news is that Jesus ain't here, but that's actually good news, Jesus had to go, as Austin pointed out last week, Jesus had to go to be the sacrifice for my sin and for your sin, that he had to die the most tragic death that the world has ever seen. He had to, and that was good news, because through those hard things, through the life-crushing things that we see, God always works out some beauty, right? And so in that beauty, the bad news that Jesus had to die, this death on the cross, The good news of that bad news is that that death on the cross was sufficient for our sin and yours, right? Like, that's the good news. And so on the third day, he also raised from the grave, and he allowed us the opportunity to escape sin and death and have relationship with him. So through the darkness of Jesus' death, we're given the beauty of true life. So the point one, there's bad news. Jesus ain't here. Point two is the good news. The good news is the Holy Spirit is 
here. God, the Holy Spirit, is here. Verse 7, it says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So with only hours left in Jesus' life, Jesus goes to his disciples and said, It's to your advantage that I leave you so that the helper, the Holy Spirit, might come. Translation, you're better off without me. No, I'm just kidding. That's, that's not what he's saying here. He's not saying you're better off without Jesus. Look, don't, don't hear me that. It's heretical. But anyway, no, what he's actually saying here is that the Holy Spirit will help to further God's mission more efficiently in their hearts and among them. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit, if he comes, will help further God's mission more efficiently in their hearts and throughout the world. Think about it this way. So my wife we have four kids, three of which are five and under. Those three that are five and under cling to her like she's Jesus, okay? Like they're on her coattails. If she leaves, the waterworks start right away. They go crazy and freak out. They're like, oh my goodness, my world is in disarray all of a sudden, right? The only thing that kind of helps that is if there's a familiar face like dad or one of the grandmas or something like that. But even then, we're just an okay substitute for mommy, okay? Only okay. And Misha really displays it best. So Misha's my youngest one. She just goes crazy and banging on the door. She makes you feel bad about it. And then inevitably, when mommy walks back in the door, all is right in the world. Now, the problem that my wife has, though, is that she has to leave sometimes. She's got to go to the grocery store. She's got to go be without our crazy kids every now and then. She's got to go hang out with friends and have coffee. And so she can't be in multiple places at once. And the incarnate Jesus, God in body, can't be more than one place at once. So the Spirit of God can, though right? Like the Holy Spirit of God can be all over the place. So would you rather have Jesus with you at all times, moment by moment, day by day, or have the Holy Spirit of God living in you? Now, selfishly, I'd say I want Jesus. Give me Jesus right now. But I also know that there's other people that need Jesus to be with them, and Jesus knew that too. And so he said, you know what? I'm going to send the helper. I'm going to send the Spirit because it's better. The way God has chosen to accomplish his purposes is by putting the Holy Spirit in every single person who trusts in Jesus. Isn't that good news? Once you come to faith in Jesus... As Lord and Savior of your life, you're given something. You're, you're not only given forgiveness for your sins, you're given this huge family to belong to, but then also you are given his presence to live in and through you for the rest of your life. This isn't a thing that just happens in a moment, that, that, that he only comes every now and then. Like This is upon your decision to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to reside in you. Here's what Romans 8, 9 says. It puts it this way. It says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. See, he doesn't come at different points or only in special moments. But moment by moment, day by day, the spirit of God dwells within you. His eternal presence. It's beautiful. Just from... One simple decision to change, turn our life around. Not turn it around ourselves, but turn from our sin and trust Jesus. He comes to dwell in us. 
So a lot of times what we think, though, is that this is just some sort of simple, like, mental idea, right? Like, it's not something, like, it's just an idea. Like, it's a mental thing. It's cerebral. But in reality, it's a supernatural act. Like, it's beyond the physical. Because, but because we're human, we get so stuck on the tangible, on the physical thing. And this causes us to lose sight of the wonders that God is working in and through us. And I believe this is a problem with the church. We think that everything has to be make sense to us, and we think that everything has to be practical to us, when in reality, most of everything that we see in Scripture that God does is not practical. It doesn't always make sense. Take this church family, for instance. Um, Time and time again, uh, I have to ask the question, if the Spirit of God wasn't here, would it be different and, and I think, I believe it would be. I think, I think this room would be very different if the Spirit of God wasn't here. And so when people constantly ask Austin and I, man, what are you guys doing to make all this happen? We have to remind folks, if we could explain what's going on, it wouldn't be an act of God. Like, this stuff doesn't happen based on our leadership in preaching. We're not that good. Trust me, praise God. It's good news that this cannot be explained. People's lives are supernaturally being transformed. People are coming to know Jesus as Savior. God is making an impact in this family. And so the leadership of this church isn't by us, but the Spirit of God through Jesus is what's at work here. The God of the universe exists outside of time and space and lives in and through his people to do real supernatural things. This isn't just a concept or an idea, it's reality. Which gets me to my third point. The good news gets better. The Holy Spirit is not only in us, but he's working among us and in us. Verse 8, it says, And when, I, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father And you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will speak not on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come See, the Holy Spirit is at work, and I'm going to show you actually three ways by which this text is telling us that he's at work, and and the first one is he convicts. In the text, when you see that word convict there, it means to exploit or to show clearly. And so when he says that he comes to convict the world of sin, he means he shows us that we, in and of ourselves, are guilty before a holy God. Now, you're probably thinking, that's not better news. Right? Like, that's not what I thought you were getting at when you talked about good news. And not on the surface, it doesn't look like good news. But think about it this way. If I walked up to you and said, here's a pill, take it. Hopefully my buddy Justin wouldn't look at me and say, yeah, I'll take it. Go ahead. No problem. You know, like, no. Like, you're not just going to take medicine from some strange guy that hands you a pill, right? Like, at least I would hope not. That's a little creepy. But the reality is, if I came to you and said, hey, man, You've been diagnosed with a terminal form of cancer, and this pill is the only cure. All of a sudden, you have a sense of urgency, and you're taking that pill, right? So in the same way, if the Holy Spirit doesn't expose our hearts to the reality that we have broken God's law and and, and shown us our guilt before a holy God, we don't know that we need the pill. Amen? 
Then in verse 10, he says, the spirit convicts of righteousness. Our natural response to understanding that we are guilty is not to embrace Jesus, but to try to earn our innocence, right? We want to make up for our guilt. We, we try to follow the law more closely because we've just realized that we've broken it. How backward is that? How backwards is that? So I'm going to confess something. Last week, I got a, a parking ticket. Now, I got a parking ticket because I didn't plug enough money in the meter. Apparently, I'm cheap or something. I don't know. But I didn't put enough money in there. And outrageously, I got a $10 ticket for not putting 50 cents in the meter. I don't know how that works because I owed them 50 cents and now I owe them $10. I don't, I don't get it. But anyway, I, I broke the law, right? I, I broke the law regardless. And so now, if I, so the way we do this, if I were to do this and handle this the way we handle God when we're convicted over our guilt before a holy God, that's like me taking my phone out and taking some selfie pictures every time I park, right? Like I'm parking legally. See that? Tick, tick. And then I come over here and I park downtown again. Click, 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 click. You see, I plug the meter just enough. Every single time I've done it right, I've taken pictures, taken pictures. And then I email that to them. And then they send me an email response and say, we're going to charge you 15 more dollars for being dumb. Right? Like, that's what it's like. That's what we do when we try to do that. Right? Like, we try to earn it. The Holy Spirit exposes or convicts us concerning our self-righteous or self-earning posture. We can't earn innocence. The system isn't graded on a curve. We can't do enough good things to outweigh our bad. We aren't perfectly righteous. Now, verse 11 says that he also convicts concerning judgment. So first he exposes our guilt. Then he exposes our inability to make ourselves or earn innocence. And finally, he shows us that we can't justify ourselves. Now, you may have heard this phrase commonly said or even tattooed on someone's body parts saying, only God can judge me. Now, what I would say that is a form of escapism for people to justify their own actions. Really, what that person is saying is that only they can judge themselves. The Holy Spirit convicts the heart that we are already judged. God's judgment for Satan, Genesis 3, first, he first led Adam and Eve into sin and against righteousness, away from God. It says that he himself is condemned. So if Satan is condemned, if we are to follow him, we are condemned as well. So the Spirit of God wants to show us that because our sin and our lack of our own righteousness, we're already judged apart from Christ. Only God can judge you. He already has. But in that, the Holy Spirit also exposes all of our false worldly ideas concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. And then he shows us the gospel. He illuminates and exposes us to how to solve those realities. So sin makes us guilty, but Jesus is the way to innocence. Jesus lived a life of total innocence, the life that we couldn't live. And then self-righteousness is a lie, but Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the true righteousness, which takes our sinfulness. The judgment for sin is death, but Jesus took that judgment and gave us life in replace of it. Jesus is our life, so we no longer stand as condemned people, but people that now are judged not based on that, but based on the grace of God. The first way the Holy Spirit works is convicting. The second 
is it guides us to all truth. Now, this is a, a, a twofold thing. So the first thing that he's telling his disciples is that, man, I'm not going to tell you the rest of the story yet. The Holy Spirit is going to tell you the rest. And the rest of that truth, the truth is the New Testament section of our Bibles. You see, the Holy Spirit is the initiator and finisher of all of Scripture. So when I say that, the word we usually use is inspired, right? We say that the Scriptures are inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so listen to me real quick. If you want the Spirit of God active in your life, you have to read and know the Word of God. The Word of God must be in your life as well. Can you hear me say that? If you want the Spirit of God in your life, the Word of God must be in your life. They are His words. The Holy Spirit inspired the writers of the Old Testament and the New Testament to write the very words of God on paper. Well, maybe not paper always, but he inspired them nonetheless, right? 2 Peter 1, 20 through 21 says it this way. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You see? You see that? The Holy Spirit wrote this book. It's the words of God. Now, there's a broader function of his guiding to all truth as well. He allows us human beings to understand that truth. We can't know the will of God apart from the understanding of his truth, apart from the Holy Spirit of God revealing it to us. This is where I think we, we might need to press in just a little bit, okay? See, like, out of the beauty of the grace that you have been given, do you desire to not only know God, but also follow his will. Like, honestly, in your inmost being, do you desire to know and follow God? If so, the only way you get there is through reading and understanding God's word and being led by a spirit. It's the only way that comes about. If the Spirit of God lives in you, your life should progressively look different. The way in which you conduct yourself should be different. The way you think should be different. You ought to taste different. You're like, whoa, what? Why do you say taste? Let me explain. So a friend of mine, when he was explaining the Holy Spirit, he used an analogy of chocolate milk. Now, I'm not talking about that raggedy Walmart in a jug chocolate milk, okay? Like, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is you get you a tall glass, put it on the counter, you choose your portion of milk. Mine's vitamin D. You might do skim or 2%, whatever. You pour it in that glass, and then you go get Nesquik syrup, okay? 1K, no C, Nesquik, okay? You pour it in there, you stir that up, and that is chocolate milk, Mm, right? Like, it's good chocolate milk, not the gallon jug, but a nice glass of Nesquik. Now, before we come to know Jesus, now this is not a white and black joke. I'm just going to let y'all know right now, okay? Like, before we come to know Jesus, I I saw some of y'all thinking it already. So, before we come to know Jesus, we're either 2% skim or whole milk, okay? We're vitamin D. But then when we trust in Jesus, we get the Spirit of God. That's the nest quick, and we're changed. We're no longer just plain milk. We're now chocolate. That's, That's what happens, Now think about this. If I take my chocolate milk, the good chocolate milk, not the Walmart, the good chocolate milk, and you put it in the refrigerator and let it set for a while, and I come back to that fridge and drink it, what do you think just happened? That chocolate milk, chocolate settled to the bottom, and at the top is white milk, right? And so what happens is, 
if I were to drink it, it tastes just like white milk, right? It tastes like plain milk. And I think, I think if we're honest, a lot of us look a lot like the settled chocolate milk. We got stirred up in the beginning when we first came to faith, but when we let him just, just let life get in the way, we let the Spirit of God settle, and we, just, we don't look any different. We don't taste any different than we did before. Now, A.W. Pink, he's a theologian, pastor guy. He says it this way. He says, until the Holy Spirit is again given his rightful place in our hearts, thoughts, and activities, there could be no improvement. Until we begin to recognize that we are entirely dependent upon his operations for all spiritual blessing, the root of the trouble cannot be reached. If we want to see our lives supernaturally different and not just plain old milk, it takes more than just sitting in the fridge. It won't happen by a change of circumstance. It won't happen by a change of relationship status. It won't change if you have more money. The only way we can see a distinct difference is if we stir the Spirit up in our lives. We're so, so easily pleased with mediocre lives when God comes to give us true life. He comes to live in us. We think that Jesus came to inhibit our living circumstances when in reality he came to inhabit us so that we can truly live. It's not inhibit, it's inhabit. Now, Christian, if you, if you want to walk in a vibrant will of God, it starts with knowing the Spirit's words spoken in Scripture and being led by them. You see, we don't want to be just a group of church people who know a lot of stuff about the Bible. And we also don't want to be a group of church people that are led to and fro by emotions. We want to be people that are led by the Spirit and truth. We want our head knowledge to become heart realities. We we only get this through the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says it this way, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You see, the Spirit of God has to give us discernment of God's will. So if we want to understand God's will for your life, you have to have the source of that living life talking to you. And so as we continue on and stir the Spirit of God, he's going to increase us to be more like Jesus. He's going to increase the mind of Christ in us. And so you're probably like, okay, stir, what does it mean? Like, what are you, what are you getting at here? How do we get there? How do we start to move there? And I, first, I think the first place we have to start to stir the Spirit of God in our hearts, we have to recognize that Jesus doesn't just want to be a part of one portion of your life, but every portion. He wants to saturate your life. We have to be cognizant of that. How many of us, and I'm going to raise my hand right now, how many of us go throughout a week and we didn't even acknowledge that God exists, let alone that his spirit lives in us? Amen? So first we have to come to the recognition that he wants to be with us and we can talk to him. One of the first things I try to do in the morning, and I'm, I'm going to let you know right ahead, I don't do this perfectly. But here's what I try to do. I try to make sure that when I wake up in the morning, I say, Spirit of God, please fill me. Please take control today. Not just of my day and my circumstances, but of me. Use me for your will. Now, like I said, it ain't perfect, but, I, man, I'm calling God right now to, to help my heart to surrender. And sometimes I don't think we know how valuable it is to be around the people of God. 
I think sometimes we don't recognize the fact that when you gather here on a Sunday on a consistent basis, you get to see the Spirit of God at work. When we started our core team gatherings for the first time in my life, every single week I'm excited to be here in this room every single Sunday. And it's not because I get to preach. It's not because I get to use my gifts. The reason why is because I get to see the Spirit of God in you people. I get to see God displayed in his people. So Sunday mornings is one way to to get the spirit stirred up. But I think another way is to get on a serving team. Absolutely. When you see God's people side by side serving together, you're going to see God show up. He's going to do something. And yes, it might be coffee or donuts or cleaning, but the spirit of God shows up in those average normal things. So get on a serving team. And then if you're not a part of a city group, I think that's another way. Like there is nothing more stirring in the spirit than when you can break bread with one another, fellowship, be in God's word, and be about the mission of God together. There's nothing more stirring than that. Get in a city group. This is how we go from being affiliated as an organization to belonging to a family. That's one of the first ways. And the second way is that we need to meet with Jesus daily. Like if he's the the lover of your soul, the most effective thing in your life, person, work, Jesus in your life, you have to be led by him. And the, the primary means that he's given us is to be through his word and prayer. We've said this before, is that City Life family, we want you to be people. We want to be a people who love and cherish our Bibles. When you open up your Bible, it's not just another book. It's actually the words of the Holy Spirit, God of the universe. You're not reading things just to read things. Like you're meeting with Jesus. The way you stir the Spirit of God is from actually hearing from the very Word of God. And finally, we got to listen. We have to listen to the Spirit. Jesus says in John 10 that his sheep hear his voice and follow it. Some of us can't hear Jesus because we ain't listening. At times, we need to just be still and listen. We have to be not only a people of prayer, but a people of waiting. Waiting for God to respond, even if it's just a still, small voice. You know it when you hear it. Amen? So the Spirit of God convicts. He guides us to all truth. And finally, he glorifies. Here, verse 14, it says, He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All the Spirit of God does on a consistent basis is point to Jesus. He glorifies Jesus. He actually makes Jesus practical and tangible to us. He takes Jesus from being an idea or a person that we might know to tangible daily living. The Spirit helps us to understand the gospel. That the gospel message isn't just a message, but it's actually a person. That person is Jesus. Our relationship with Jesus has and is capable of infinite death because he lives in us. When things get difficult, when we have hard times focusing on the main thing, that main thing being Jesus, we can trust that the Spirit of God, if he is ruling and reigning over our hearts, will point us to Jesus, the main thing, in those moments of struggle and trial and difficulty. Even when we don't know what to pray for, he is right there with us. 
Romans 8.26 says it this way, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. In our weakness, the Spirit knows what to say and where to point our hearts. He is the ultimate helper. As Jesus pointed out early on in our text, Jesus isn't ever too far away from us because the Holy Spirit lives in us. I know I keep saying that, but that's so important. Like, that's a reality. It's not something that, again, it's not just an idea that we came up with, but it's a reality. The Spirit of God lives in you. He shows us the gospel. He shows us that the gospel isn't about just try harder, do gooder, or let me do enough good things to please God, but instead he shows our hearts to look to Jesus and to yield to him. The Holy Spirit doesn't simply dwell in varsity Christians. He's not just a work, he's not just at work in people that got it all together. He's wild, unpredictable. He chooses to work through normal, regular people on a daily basis, and he has done so throughout history. City Light, I want to challenge you this morning give in to the Spirit of God. I want to challenge you to actually listen to him and see him for who he is in your life so that when you feel that tug on your heart to confess or ask for forgiveness to that person that you love, that you know that it's him and you do it. Or if you feel that tug on your heart to give just a little bit more, to write the check that's uncomfortable, I want you to know that that's him. I want you to know that when you see your neighbor not walking, not loving, not knowing Jesus, and it breaks your heart, that that's the Spirit of God telling you, go talk to him. Amen? I want to challenge you this morning to listen to the Spirit of God when you feel those tugs. May we be a church that is led by God the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's pray.